Welcome to episode 62 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And this week we'll be recapping season three of Avatar The Last Airbender with episodes 309, Ep- Nightmares and Daydreams, and both 310 and 311, Day of Black Sun, parts one and two. As always, here is our long for spoiler warning for the Avatarverse TV shows, both of them, the Kiyoshi novels, Katara and the Pirate Silver, and Suki alone. <gasps> Andre, how are we doing this week? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Uh, did we all have a good Halloween weekend? Um, I did. I won $200 in a costume contest. So Nice! And I ripped my pants trying to get the 500 grand prize. So <laughs> Anything for that bag? Yeah. Was it your Jack Skellington costume? Yeah, I ripped the pants like really bad. <laughs> Love that. But actually, Love I have that. them right here. So patrons, you get to see how bad I ripped my pants. This is how bad they oh are. Oh my god. <laughs> Where did did you make the pants yourself or where'd you get them? No, God, no! Are you kidding me? It's a spirit Halloween. Oh, I, girl, I don't know. I don't know if you're if you're if you're in that in that five hundred no. square foot apartment sewing away. I don't know. <laughs> no, uh, uh-uh. no. Uh, but I was trying to. I was. I really tried hard to win that grand prize, and like I was trying to do this like spooky crawl walk thing, and I could hear it rip. So that means everyone else around me heard it rip. And were you doing the? No, I wasn't quite doing like the... No, I was not doing that. But it is in the same kind of spirit, just a little bit more <laughs> ominous and weird. Love that. And then uh, the duck walks from the ballroom scene. Love that. Uh, yes. Can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I can't do that. I ripped my fucking pants. But you went for it's it. Like, and that's all that matters. I went for it. I wanted the money. I wanted 500 more dollars. Like, <laughs> come on. You would do stupid shit to get more money, right? Exactly. Yeah. That. Yeah. There's no blame here. I would do the exact same thing. Yeah. How was your Halloween? Because I rambled long enough about mine. <laughs> it was really good. We had a lot of fun. Um, we actually got a good amount of trick-or-treaters. Um, my dad was going ham on the fog machine that he bought. He's like always wanted to get a fog machine for the yard and he got it. And he was like so excited about it. Um, That's adulting. Yeah. Which was which was fun because it was also his birthday. So. Oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was a pretty good weekend. And. I, I mean, I, I think we're going through a holiday cold snap right now because I wake up every day this week it's and it's like 40 frost. degrees. I love it. It's 30 degrees here in Morgantown. It's winter. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, you guys are always like 10 degrees colder and I'm always so jealous. But I wake up and I was like, oh, my God, the air conditioning must be like working its ass off. Air conditioning's off, mama. There's no cold yeah. air. It's just from the outside. And I love it. Yeah. Love it. The chill in the air, it's great. Yes. So now that Halloween's over, like, do we have an official stance on like Christmas music and decorations after Halloween before Thanksgiving? Or like, are we just kind of a live and let live kind of people? Because I'm trying to like figure that out for myself because I switch day to day. Here's my stance. (laughs) Let people enjoy things and just leave everybody alone. It's oh, it's perfectly okay if you wait till after Thanksgiving. Or middle of December to put up your tree. If someone's putting up their tree November 1st, just leave them alone. We are all in desperate need of some serotonin. And even if it is artificial, (laughs) we need it. The world is so fucking wild and scary right now. Just let people enjoy their decorations and their holiday music. Because guess what? After Christmas, what is there to look forward to? Seasonal depression, it's already here. Yeah, exactly. It's already here, bitch. Just with some holiday spice. <laughs> there you go. 
So let people let people enjoy things because once we get to January, it's gonna be What's, fucking miserable. So I mean, I mean, my birthday's a national holiday, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> what's your birthday? I'm January nineteenth. Which is which? What? As in, As I, I, I joke that it's my birthday's a national holiday. Oh, but actually, I was like, usually, I was like no, Martin Luther King Day. What? Oh. Well, actually, well, here's the thing. My birthday's also Dolly Parton's birthday, and that should be a national holiday for Dolly. Work. So, but sometimes my birthday does fall on Martin Luther King Day. This year, it's on a Wednesday. <laughs> so, Love that. Yeah, but smack dab in the middle. Of I, you know what? Just, just let people do whatever. You know, yeah, you exactly. don't have to listen to holiday music if you don't want to. Just listen to it whenever. It's exactly. fine. And then the people that are like, like, the people that are like, well, they've had ho- holiday decorations at the store since August. I'm like, yeah, that's how it's always been. It's capitalism. It's capitalism. Baby. <laughs> just leave it alone. Like, it just, just go down the aisle. You don't have to look at it. Just, you know, yeah. It's just a weird thing to get angry about. And some people get extremely yeah. angry about it. There's, there's more important things to be angry about. Yeah. What's your, what's but, your stance? Is it, do you agree or? You know what? Now that like you've kind of put it into words, I agree. I've kind of also been just like weirdly hard on myself for wanting to listen to a little bit of Christmas music right now. And I also just bought myself a little Christmas tree yesterday. So I, you yeah, know. Enjoy it. I, enjoy it. I got myself a little rainbow tree, like a cute little rainbow tree that I stuck like right by my coffee table. It's like a little two foot tall tree. I'm going to get some ornaments for it. It's going to be cute. Well, yeah. And I don't, I don't know about you, Kayla, but I do know people who live alone and putting up decorations and having a tree and everything is a way to like make them feel a little less lonely to get some like holiday cheer in there you know so i do live alone so you know yeah it's great and actually you know what? i've started listening to like the pentatonics like christmas albums and like skipping over the ones that get played a lot mm-hmm. like skipping over the songs like the really popular christmas songs so that way i don't get too sick of it mm-hmm. but like just some like smaller low-key christmas songs you know mm-hmm. like some things like the you know like pentatonics original song like that's christmas to me and Love like that song like those songs don't get played a lot right so like i don't get like, the thing that i'm worried about with christmas music is that i'll get sick of it and i'm trying to like right you know ease myself into the christmas season i'm just the key is variety you need to have exactly you need to have the pentatonics christmas music but you also need to have your standard christmas pop like mariah carey you need i'm saving mariah carey until after thanksgiving though that yeah i have to put my limitations on that you also need like your jazzy christmas go to michael buble go to all that and then you need your your vintage christmas like Frank Sinatra, White Christmas. Like, it needs to be a lot of variety. Bing Crosby. Yeah, yeah, Bing Not Crosby, exactly, yeah. Like, you need a lot of yeah. variety to make sure you don't get, you know... Uh, sick of it. Sick of yeah. it, yeah. So. Also, of course, the Hades Town Christmas album, so... Or holiday album. I, I always say, forget that they have Christmas. a Christmas album. Also, Lady Gaga has a Christmas album. I didn't know that either. I did not know that either. Mm-hmm. Wow. Not it. What, so. It's not recent either. It's, like, been a thing. <laughs> I, just don't, I just didn't know about it till now. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, what's the Avatar news this week? Because it actually was kind of big news. Yeah. So we had some big casting news this week. Uh, Daniel Day Kim has been cast as Fire Lord Ozai in the live action Netflix Avatar series. Um, And come to find out, Daniel Day Kim has also actually been involved in the Avatar series before. He voiced uh, General Fong for season two in Atla. Um, And he also voices Hiroshi Sato in Legend of Korra. So he's already kind of involved with Avatar. And I get the impression that he's also like an Avatar fan. So that's really cool. Um, I knew sense. about Hiroshi Sato. I didn't know that he voiced General Fong. I did not know that either. Yeah, but that's really cool. What do you think of this casting, Kayla? I swear to God, if one of you says like DILF in like the messages or comments about this news, I will smack you with the horny jail bat. <laughs> like, I am dead serious. Do not fucking do that. 
I mean, I, no, no, <laughs> go to horny jail. Bonk. <laughs> He's a very attractive man, though. Yes, but I, I don't, don't do that. <laughs> uh, uh-uh. don't say that. <laughs> that's like the, that's like that video of, um, I don't know if you know this video of Bob the Drag Queen and Peppermint. And Pe- exactly, that's why I did Peppermint. this. That's why I did like the, the X over the lips. Have you like, read that article? Not that. Oh, the fracking? No, not that. No, not, the not fracking. that. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. No, I love this casting. I think people were like, oh, he's too attractive to play Fire Lord Ozai. Fire Lord Ozai is meant to be like handsome. Like that is the whole thing about the face reveal. Yeah. Is that you're shocked that he's like a handsome looking guy. That he can like stoop down to all this evil. So I think it works just fine. Evil people can be pretty too. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That that was the whole point about the face reveal. I, I saw something be like, will he have the goatee, the classic goatee? I'm like, I don't know. Will they give him the long hair? I don't know. Who gives a shit about the goatee? Well, he's, well <laughs> Aang's gotta grab the goatee in the final battle, remember? Oh, Jesus. That's not that's <laughs> not hard to accomplish. You can grow it, and also there's like, you know, drag kings glue on facial hair all the time. It's gonna be fine, guys. Oh no, I no, I chill. No, he no, they're definitely gonna glue it on. Um no, but I can't I can't wait for this. I think he's gonna do a really good job. I love Daniel Day Kim. And yeah. and again, I definitely do think that Netflix is kind of nailing this the casting so far. Um, it's it's definitely giving me a little more faith in the series. Definitely. You know? What I do want to know is, are they going to stick to not revealing Ozai until season three? Or will they do what The Last Airbender did and have him be like an active character throughout like the first season? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like people would want to like play the card sooner. Yeah. In a live action series, especially with someone like Daniel Day Kim. And you already know what he like looks like. Maybe not as the character, but I wonder if they're going to reveal his face like maybe in like the Agni Kai flashback with Zuko, because maybe yeah. maybe in like live action, it's kind of hard to come off like to make the silhouette come off as like evil looking. You know what I mean? So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't mind if they revealed him in the first season if, if it was for like a good reason yeah exactly. you know like it, like he it's not like he just like popped out out of nowhere like he did in the movie yeah because like if you're in the movie you're kind of like this is it yeah this is that's the fire lord like no He's like just... menacing music no like menacing introduction it's just walking He's around just the palace yeah that's what i don't want because he is a giant character in the story so i'm not really that picky about waiting for him to be revealed until season three i'm not really picky either way i just if they do decide to reveal him a lot sooner than the the show it has to be for a good reason you know so yeah but yeah i'm really looking really looking forward to that yeah all right cool well (laughs) so this is our first episode where we're covering three episodes and we have to do this because uh season three has an odd number of episodes um it's 21 instead of 20 and also nightmares and daydreams is just such an odd episode that we kind of just can skirt through it you know i mean usually we don't skirt through things no but this is the this is the one time we do (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna talk talk generally about this we're not gonna do how we do with our regular episodes where we go through the episode and the outline we're just gonna kind of like generally talk about it um because there are some like small arcs here and there, but overall it is kind of just like, what the fuck is happening? Um, yeah. Kayla's initial thoughts about nightmares and daydreams. First, I have to make a pun. The episode's basically all about Aang dealing with his anxiety. Canceled. 
canceled. No. <laughs> no, that was a good one, and you know it. Okay, fine. It's just like it gets like bad to weird as hallucinations, <laughs> dreams, like throughout the entire episode. Uh, just, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of anime references that I'm that are completely going over in my head with like, mm-hmm. especially with like Aang's outfits. But every time that he confronts the Fire Lord in his dreams, and like, I'm sure there's a reference to something with like Appa and Momo's samurai duel that happens yeah like (laughs) oh my god what a strange episode it it is a strange episode and um not one that i've seen very often in fact i think i i skip this episode when i do like full rewatches um so so watching it now i was I, i had a lot of thoughts First one being, I completely forgot that Zuko was in this episode, that he had yeah, a little bit of an arc. Um, so that, I, I did not realize that they set up the whole meeting about what they would do on the on the day of the comet. Um, oh, really? That was the meet? Oh. Yes, yes, because that's what, that is like what really makes him, that's one of the reasons he decides to join Team Avatar was that he could not go through with this plan on top of it feeling weird for him to be there, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. Sure. We have some thoughts from one of our patrons that we're going to cover in Fandom Corner about this one, but they do make a point about how it almost feels like Zuko's arc should have been, like, the main arc, and this, this like, a arc with the group should have been, like, the B-plot, and I kind of have to agree. I definitely agree. The second half of the episode is where it loses me. Like, I, I was fine with, like, the first episode. Like, it's, like, light and funny. And, like, the nightmares are, like, ridiculous. And t- except for that, like, one extremely weird nightmare. Um, and scary nightmare. I mean, nightmare. the math test, however, the however the math test nightmare, that is a very realistic one for Yes. <laughs> Did anyone else get those? I'm just like, shit, I'm late for school. Or, <laughs> you know, math test I forgot to study for. That's very realistic. And I will give them that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the the actual, like, scary nightmare sequence is it was extremely like scary and it it, like definitely evokes what nightmares like feel like sometimes yeah like it's just like this hodgepodge of like scary weird images um did you catch the lord of the rings reference in that sequence what what, what was it it was the the fire nation palace but it had like the ring of like fire around it (gasps) yeah okay then that case it was like a split second. I, I was like, oh, that's Lord of the Rings reference. That's really cool. Well, because we just talked about their influences for the show. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, if I really wanted to like go into it, I I like that they delved into the very realistic anxiety Aang must have been feeling the day before. Don't you or mean the anxiety? Oh my god. <laughs> I'm not gonna do this the entire episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will leave. No. No. Um, no, but it's yeah. I like the the realism of of him feeling that anxiety um, before he has to like essentially save the world. I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on a twelve year old. Um, yeah. So I mean, I really liked like that aspect of it. I feel like it could have been done better than this. I don't know how they do it, but like I I don't know. I feel like there's like there's other is better ways to go about it. Do you feel like the over the topness of it all kind of undermined? Ang's like real anxiety about the whole situation. Yeah, I think so. I I definitely think so. Like, it could have been an interesting episode with like kind of exploring both like Zuko and Ang's like their own like doubts mm-hmm. um and fears about before like before making big decisions and doing something big in their lives. Like that 
that could have it could have been like the storm, you know, with right. like, you know, the parallels, like again, further exploring those parallels between those two. But I get it. It's, you know, maybe they kind of want to do like a less than heavy episode before, you know, kind of the heartbreaking day of Black Sun episodes, you know, so. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up the storm because I think I think there may, maybe that their reasoning was that they didn't want it to be too similar to the storm yeah. with all the nightmares and the because that is a very like character heavy, you know, introspective episode. And funnily enough, it's also an episode where nightmares play a heavy role and both Aang and Zuko have like a parallel arc going on. Not so much this episode, but it this it does focus on both of them. I, I also do wonder if you have a point about they wanted something lighter because this episode is right between the Puppet Master and the Day of Black Sun. So I yeah. feel like they were like, let's do something like a little more childlike, a little more like humor based to kind of break up like the denseness of. Yeah. Before sucker punching them in the fields again. Right. Like... I mean, that's what happens in the back half of season three. You have the Southern Raiders episode where that is a very extremely dark emotional episode. And then Sozin's Comet, they had to put something in between to make it like light. Hence the Ember Island players. So I understand the reasoning. It's just, it really is the second half where it just completely loses me. I think it just goes way too far over the top for me. Like I get that he's supposed to be like sleep deprived and like hallucinating, but at the same time, like the whole thing with him and and Katara, like you're my forever girl, baby. Like, I'm just like, why are (laughs) I had more of a problem with that than like the, the, the Appa and Momo fight. Uh, same here. I wanted to bang my head against the table <laughs> at that part. I was just like, like you know, why? What? Also, like the entire time this episode was on, I was thinking about like from Hell of a Boss, uh, like that audio, like that was viral on TikTok for a while of like because you, my precious little bitch boy, are tripping balls. <laughs> like that's literally what I was thinking about the entire time. So, what's the, well, speaking of tripping balls, I mean we've. The cactus juice episode also had like a hallucinogenic element, but it didn't go crazy with it, you know? Like, yeah, because it was actually funny. I mean, hence why we quote it. I like, I quote it my brother so often because yeah. it was actually funny. I don't know. I guess the reason that it's over the top for me is that I would have much rather had, and again, this is, I, I understand that. I understand the reasoning of trying to make it light and everything, but you can understand the reasoning. You don't have to like it or, or agree with it. Um, or agree with it. But I I think the reason it's so over the top for me is that I would have much preferred a more serious take on Aang's anxiety. There, I said Yay! it. Um Because <laughs> the, <laughs> the stakes are extremely big. And I think that's what they tried to address with that, that like nightmare sequence where like the comet hits and like the world is like immolated and everything. And I'm just like, yeah, it's it's a big deal. You know, it, it felt like it was that whole element of Aang's anxiety and the stakes were being undermined by the extremely bonkers ass shit that (laughs) was happening. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I mean, I do like that the group kind of rallies together and tries to help Aang with this. Um, I did like that. I I especially loved when that whole, whole like segment of Aang being like, Sokka, you need to go climb that thing right now. Like, because in my dream, you fell because you didn't know how to climb. He's like, I know how to climb. (laughs) And he's like climbing in the background and he falls. (laughs) 
I, I did love that. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I did chuckle a couple of times in the episode. Yeah. The wang, wang, wang fire facial hair came back. Yes, the wang fire egg experience. A, yes. <laughs> egg squeak screams into a koala sheep. Like, yeah, it's just. Um, but I do also like that, that we did get to see Zuko, even though we didn't we kind of forgot that happened. Uh, but like he, he we really do get to see that he like, again, kind of reiterating. He is getting everything that he wants, he wants mm-hmm. technically, but this is I hate that it's kind of been like overshadowed by these crazy sequences. But like this is a key moment in his redemption arc where he's like ready to, you know, he's start he's now starting to realize that what he wants isn't exactly what, you know, he actually does want. You know, exactly. Yeah. Like he's getting everything that he had wanted in the first two seasons and he's realizing it's not right for him. So like, I don't know. I feel like that. I wish that got more of the weight that it deserved because it is a key moment in the redemption arc. Absolutely. So. And it, it goes over the top with it. And in, in like the like the pampering he gets and like him not being able to walk like three feet without you know going into palanquin like that is it's it, it, it does help to be like he has all these things. And he's still not happy. Which was touched upon in uh, the beach episode. Right. But we get to see it more in this one. I think this is like the cherry on top for his redemption arc. I do I, I do agree. I wish we spent a little more time with Zuko in this episode. Because I do think that could have happened. And I didn't. I am glad I watched this. Because every time I get to the first part of Susan's comment, I'm like, why didn't we like... When he's like telling them like the, the story of like the meeting and what they plan to do. I'm like, why did we never see that? It turns out we did. <laughs> um, and it's in this episode. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't I don't hate this episode. I I question a lot of its decisions because it does seem extremely like antithetical to what Avatar pro- Avatar prioritizes in terms of like character and story. You know, I mean, I guess they went for it. I gotta give them credit for that, you know. And I'm sure this is a pretty divisive episode as well. Yeah, forget the great divide. This one should be talked about more often. <laughs> Yeah, the great divide of of people's takes on this episode, but yeah, yeah, I and I I I really really enjoyed Zuko's whole thing about like being invited to the meeting and everything because it touches a little more on his insecurity about everything, and then as well as like you idiot, of course you're invited, <laughs> like you don't need to be invited, you're the prince, you know. And then like yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know, but overall, I think we we both agree. I think we much preferred Zuko's arc and wish it got a little more time but it does it does kind of help us set up a little bit of Day of Black Sun um, so any any last thoughts on this episode before we move on to that? I think we've thoroughly exhausted the subject let's move on to a better episode. <laughs> cool. Alright let's do it. 310 Day of Black Sun part 1 so on the morning of the invasion Aang wakes up from his restful sleep confident, confidently believing he can face the Fire Lord um, Toph asks Aang if he is going to use the Avatar state against Ozai, but Aang explains that his seven chakra is locked uh, because Azula struck him with lightning, so he can't use it. Um, and is this like the first instance we hear about this? I think so. I think we would have commented on it if it wasn't. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think that was something that was like touched upon in the first episode, and I almost feel like I think they almost like forgot to mention it in the first episode. Yeah, because the way this comes out is like, oh suddenly we're getting this like really crucial like thing of exposition before we move on to the next thing. Um, yeah, I feel like they had to quickly throw that line of dialogue in because people were just like, why didn't you use the Avatar state if they didn't say something about right, it? You know? Right, yeah. 
Um, so a fleet of southern water tribe ships appears on the horizon under the cover of a cloak of mist and Sokka and Katara greet their father Hakoda and we are reunited with some familiar faces from previous seasons like the Swamp Benders, Bato of the Water Tribe, Haru and his father, the Hippo and the Boulder, the Mechanist and his son Teo, and Pipsqueak and the Duke. So it's a very much an Avengers Assemble uh, thing I going on that. here. I love that. I love that so much. That is really cool. I, I'm a sucker for these kinds of things, you know? Me too. Like all Me the too. friends that have come together, like they've, they, they've helped in the past coming together to help them. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm a sucker for that stuff, that trope. <laughs> I like that they did this because it it almost kind of like celebrates, you know, where where they've gotten to in the series and everything and all these people that they've met along the way. Because once we get to the actual final climax, it it is very much just like the group in the White Lotus. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that these characters are like brought back to c- play like a very crucial role in this war, you know? Um, so I really like that. It just shows how many lives that they've, it, you know, touched and impacted in a, you know, positive, you know, in most cases, positive way, mm-hmm. you know, and clearly they're, they're willing to put their lives in the line for them. So mm-hmm. that really just goes to show like how much they've impacted everyday people. Right. And it also retroactively makes the episodes in which these characters appear more important and more interesting. So don't skip them. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, Teo presents Aang with a gift, which is a brand new glider staff complete with a secret snack compartment. Um, Very important. Got to keep the blood sugar up. (laughs) Exactly. And I, I like there's a subtle little subtext here, I feel like, where because like the whole Northern Air Temple episode is about how the temple was like desecrated and everything. The fact that they presented him with a new glider, I think kind of is them trying to maybe like apologize a little bit or kind of like make penance with him. Um, so I do like it cut that it comes from Teo and the Mechanist. I love it. So yeah, uh, we quickly cut to the Fire Nation prison where Ming, a young female guard, appears with Iroh's breakfast and sneaks in some white JT for him. After the other guard leaves, Ira expresses his gratitude for her kindness and he casually comments that she looks ill and insists that she should go home. When she's like, no, like, I feel fine. He's like, you should probably go home. You shouldn't be here this afternoon. <laughs> and she uh, gets the hint and goes home. So fun fact, Ming's actually voiced by legendary tennis star Serena Williams, mm-hmm. who's a huge fan of the series. Uh, so that was really cool. I that she got like a little guest role and she also got to talk to Iroh. Like her character was like kind to Iroh and like he helps, he helped her in the end and told her like, yes, I want to stay away from this place. Yeah. I love, I love that. I love that. Like she got a role because she was like a a giant fan of the show. Um, And she also has a role in Legend of Korra. I don't remember which character, but I know she also voices a character in Legend of Korra. She plays a sage in the beginnings part one episode. So I think oh, it's the okay. episode, the episode works where, where they explain, uh, you know, where one avatar wands introduced. So she's one of the, the f- sages in that episode. So. All right. So back with the invasion force, uh, Sokka, who is suffering from extreme stage fright, attempts to explain the invasion, um, but it doesn't go well at all. And Hakoda steps in to relieve him and continue the briefing. Um, it, it goes terribly wrong to the point where Sokka feels like that he has to start from season one, episode one (laughs) and gives us like a a giant synopsis of all the events that have led up to this. And I just found that extremely hilarious. Later on, um, Sokka is embarrassed about how, you know, he kind of, you know, tried to, tried to brief everyone the invasion and Aang reassures him that, you know, everyone has stage fright and what's important is what he does on the battlefield. Um, so this is a good like little foreshadowing and I do like how this is kind of developed 
and brought back throughout the battle, which we, we can discuss later. So the invasion force arrives at the Great Gates of Azulon, and as they approach, as, as they approach, an alarm goes off, and a large net rises from both sides of the gate, blocking the path. Um, as the net catches fire, uh, groups of firebenders infiltrate the ships and are shocked to discover that they are all empty. The invasion force passes the gate in submarine-like ships propelled by waterbending. Um, can we talk about how much of a genius Sokka is? Can we I talk about that they had submarines? And that was so fucking cool. Yeah, I love I love the like the painting he did for the mechanist. And he's like, was this enough? <laughs> and he was like, kind of. Um, no, but this is like extremely, extremely smart of Sokka. Like, like he came up with submarines. <laughs> like he, he invented the idea the for submarine. submarines. <laughs> like this is crazy. This is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Before reaching the gates, Aang and Katara say goodbye in private. Katara reveals she is proud of how much Aang has grown since they first met. And Aang, Aww. realizing how big this day is and that there is a chance that he may not survive, decides that now was the time to make his move. He kisses Katara, confidently takes out his glider, and flies away to face the Fire Lord. What do we think about this moment? Uh, I mean, I, I do like Aang and Katara's relationship, so I'm kind of like, you know... Mm-hmm. That, but also, isn't there an episode later where, like, an episode later in the season where, like, Katara's like, "Yeah, I'm not okay with you kissing me here." So, oh, that like, Ember Island players, yeah. So, key to the moment, big stakes. That makes it different than what happens later in Ember Island players. So, yeah, I like this. I only because I feel like, apart from the headband episode, I feel like maybe Aang and Katara's relationship was kind of put off on the wayside a little bit. Um, but I like that we have this moment to kind of like check in with that relationship and how it's like developing. Um, and it also like it, I mean, this episode like is so smart in how it like reeks of like finale vibes. Like, cause like this is the kind of thing that would happen in like the final episode of a show. Right. Yeah. And you think like, this is the culmination of their relationship and it like, it's so smart in how it sets up your expectations. Cause you all think that it's going to go well. Like it's going to be like, Oh my God, this is it. And then yeah. twist the knife later. Exactly. Like- <laughs> so in the meantime, after mentally apologizing to May and leaving her a note in her bedroom, Zuko sits in front of a painting of his mother and confesses his earlier mistakes and promises aloud that he will do what is right and gets ready to leave to face Ozai. So I like this only because when you're watching this for the first time, you don't know what this means. You don't know what yeah. he will he will do what is right means. So you're just kind of like, what's going on? What's happening? But I think there are plenty of, of clues laid out that he was like ready to leave the Fire Nation to potentially join uh, the gang, which is I, is really smart storytelling. So the invasion force finally arrives at the beach near the capital, um, and they storm. And as they storm the plaza, a bunch of fighting ensues, followed by other warriors, benders, earthbender tanks, and they eventually defeat the first wave of Fire Nation guards. So yeah, this is obviously like a really cool sequence. Lots of great action going on. Um, the music is bumping. Uh, the animation is amazing. Papa's got armor and he looks fantastic. Love that. This is epic. (laughs) Yeah. After noticing a threat from towers shooting missiles down at their like little earthbender tanks, Katara, Sokka, and Hakoda attack them with Appa. Uh, while Katara water slices the missiles and Sokka uses his vibranium sword to chop torpedoes in half with extremely little effort, Hakoda attempts to take out a tower but is injured in the process. I forgot how like violent looking this explosion looked like. I was like, shit. (laughs) Did Hakoda just die you know the boiling rock episodes <laughs> coming up right like <laughs> i know but but in that moment i was like is he in that episode am i remembering things incorrectly 
I was like, I was extra, I was like doubting myself. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> um, so no, but the, he's hey, fine. That's good storytelling. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. He's just extremely injured. Um, Katara and Sokka take take their father away from the battle, and Katara attempts to heal him, but he is still unable to join the battle anytime soon. Sokka pledges to his father and sister that he will lead the battle in his father's place and flies off on Appa. He lands among the troops, which have been split up in mild disarray. He reorganizes them into a wedge formation and orders them to charge up to the palace. Just as Aang said, he's taking charge. He is proving himself on the field of battle. I love this for him. You go, Sokka. <laughs> I love this for him because, like, it's not the public speaking that matters. It's what he does on the battlefield that actually matters. And I, I love that. I love that he, ha- he has this moment to, like, really, like, lead. And he definitely has come a long way from the f- the second Leading episode. Children, trying to trying to lead like the little kids to fight against Zuko and the Fire Nation ship in the first two episodes. Yes, like. he's come a very long way since then. Um, so yeah, I really like this. So Things seem to be going extremely well and according to plan as the invasion breaches the walls of the city. However, when Aang reaches the Fire Lord's throne room, Ozai is nowhere to be found. And that is where the episode ends. So this is a big 11 o'clock twist. Um, where is the Fire Lord? Where is he? I guess we will find out. After we take a break, we'll see you guys then. Hey everyone, Andre here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check to make sure you are following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider leaving us a review and some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. All right. And we're back with part two of the Day of Black Sun. Uh, the Fire Lord is nowhere to be found. Aang then rejoins the invasion force and reveals that the whole city has been abandoned. Sokka figures out that the Fire Nation must have known they were coming and hid the Fire Lord underground so they still have a chance. Because they have Toph on their side. And Sokka says like twice in the episode, I'm so glad that you're part of the group. Like, what will we do without you? <laughs> so the invasion force continues to move towards the palace while the gang searches for the Fire Lord using Toph's ability to see underground. After some searching, they come across a metal underground bunker as the eclipse begin, only to find that Azula is the one waiting for them and not the Fire Lord. I mean, even without her firebending, she's still able to fuck with them mm-hmm. multiple times. Like, even Toph's ability to, ability to lie detect does not work on her. Like, she, you know, straight says, like, are you sure about that? Like, and then she proceeds to say, I'm a 400-foot-tall purple platypus bear with pink horns and silver wings. Okay, you're good. <laughs> like, like Toph being, like, admitting, like, oh, shit. I love that Azula is, like, just as formidable and dangerous without her firebending. Because it's not the firebending necessarily that makes her dangerous, right? It's, like, literally, like, no. her, like, mind and how... She, like, can, like, warp and manipulate people so easily. As we see later, she sees Sokka as the biggest threat amongst them. Like, yes, exactly. Right so we'll elaborate more on that later. Um, she mentions that, oh, when I went to Bossing, say I brought back souvenirs. And two Daili agents proceed to drop in and defend Azula as the invasion force starts to take the city. It does It does look like for a moment that Azula earthbends. <laughs> And I think that's what the gang the thought. The Lieber, it's Yeah, the Lieber's... <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's that's what the gang thought, like, the faces they had. I was just like, what? I forgot that they, that she had Daily Agents up there. Again, a lot of extremely good planning on Azula's part. Yeah. It just gets worse from here. <laughs> yeah, literally worse. <laughs> worse for the gang, I mean. I just, like, was gonna talk about this. I understand that 
Azula learned about the eclipse from the Earth King because the Earth King like yeah. blathered about the plan out loud. But does it not stand to reason that the Fire Nation knows that they are powerless during an eclipse and therefore would know when eclipses are? Yeah. They knew about Sozin's comment, so... Exactly. You know. They knew about that. And I'm sure Grain Admiral Douchebag, when he was in the library, came across the fact that there was an eclipse coming soon. Like, there's a good chance yeah. that he did. So I'm just saying, like, the ho- their whole plan is, like, predicated on, on the fact that it's a surprise attack, you know, yeah. and that they won't be able to fight during an eclipse. I feel like even if Azula did not hear that from the Earth King, I feel like they would have already known that an eclipse was coming. I mean, like... Absolutely. I mean, the Fire Nation hoards maps of the city. I'm sure that they also have calendars <laughs> to, to know when a, an eclipse is coming, right? So yeah, I don't exactly. I don't know. That's just something that came out. I don't know. I'm not gonna call it a plot hole. I'm just gonna call it like an oversight from the characters. Like I because yeah, know, I really do feel like like how waterbenders know when full moons are. You know, yeah. But it's a very human mistake to me. Uh, so. I mean, yeah, it's very it's very you know realistic. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think I don't think them not knowing or I don't think the Fire Nation knowing about the eclipse would have like gotten rid of the invasion attack altogether. But I definitely no. think maybe some things would have been tweaked <laughs> if, if they had like thought about that, you know? Yeah. So, well, back to whatever Zuko is doing, because we don't didn't know until this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zuko then approaches the bunker where Ozai is hiding and confronts him, saying that he's there to tell the truth. He tells him that Azula was the one who struck down the Avatar, not him. And like the Avatar is alive and probably leading the mission. Uh, and Ozai tries to like order Zuko to leave. He's like, oh, you're finally telling me the truth. Like, you know, when there's a fucking eclipse going on, you know, yeah. smart ass. Like, you know, but Zuko then pulls out his swords and orders him to sit down and listen, which Azula's not the only one who is, you know, skilled without her firebending. Mm-hmm. So we finally get Zuko confronting his father about the abuse he experienced growing up and about the Fire Nation propaganda he was spood fed. Uh, like Ozai is just laughing at this. He's like, "This is like you. You're being ridiculous. You know, you're being ridiculous. You've influenced by you know, your you know, Iroh." And then Zuko proudly agrees. Like he even smiles, admitting that like you know, Iroh helped him realize this. Yeah. So this is just very satisfying, and it just gets even better. It's like yeah. as much as this episode is like devastating in other areas, it's really like, the Zuko part just made it less of a gut punch. You know. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it is an extremely smart move for the first part to be extremely battle heavy, set up the backdrop, and then the second part be all character, all like culminating moments of arcs. I love that they did this. And I think it's satisfying because I think we can subconsciously know that Zuko, I mean, standing up to his father like this, I'm sure there is some form of like, PTSD that Zuko has when he sees his father because he was the one that inflicted a traumatic experience on him. So the fact that he is like standing up to him, yes, he doesn't have his firebending right now. But even so, like it's not the firebending that makes them dangerous. It's the mind of the firebender, you know. So it's it's a very it's a lot of layers going on here. For anyone who survived abuse, like it's very difficult to get, you know, to face your abuser like especially in a confrontational way like this Absolutely. like it's hard enough trying to enforce boundaries to someone who's abusive but like this is you know outwardly confronting them on all their bullshit which you know any gaslighting piece of shit abuser out there it just makes it very hard for the person to stand up for themselves exactly. so it just it's very satisfying to see zuko do this mm-hmm. you know 
back to Azula, who may be technically powerless in regards to her fire bending, but she is still super cunning, is easily able to evade the gang despite her lack of bending right now. Yeah. And there's a lot of there's a lot of cool bending going around in the sequence as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And also like there's a very big mind game ha- game happening right now, especially between like two of some of the smartest people in the main cast of Avatar, Azula and Sokka. Mm-hmm. He realized that Azula is baiting them into wasting the precious few minutes they have at the eclipse and t- ties to get them to stop going after her. And then she says, I think there's a good Azula line here where she's like, can't see me, but I'm rolling my eyes right now. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow. <laughs> Canceled. Sass. Azula is over party. <laughs> so they start walking out and it's like, she tries like, she tries again to bait them in the back into facing her. And then she pulls the emotional card mm-hmm. and she's like oh you know she brings up Suki her favorite prisoner it's like oh you know, she always thought that you were going to come and rescue her but then you didn't and you never came and like then that's what gets Sokka like he's first he's like he's strong he's able to hold his ground be like yeah ignoring you and then she brings up Suki mm-hmm. <laughs> you kind of have to think that without knowledge of the Boiling Rock episode Suki's like fate is was extremely left vague like it was like implicitly let fake. Like she could have been dead for all we know. Yeah. Like we had we had no idea. I think this is like when we find out that she still might be alive, you know. And of course Sokka reacts this way because all of his girlfriends die. <laughs> so of course he doesn't he want only had one so far. <laughs> well, you know. He doesn't want he I doesn't know. want a, a UA situation, right? I getcha. Yeah. He's he's yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which of course bringing up Suki pisses him off enrages him enough to attack her. Toph then, she's like, you know, she basically says to herself, like, come and get it kind of thing. Brings, takes a knife out of her pocket. Yeah, it's literally like, like a Star-Lord Thanos situation going on here. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. exactly. That. And then, like, Toph manages to disarm her with earthbending after sensing that she had a knife. Uh, and then Sokka demands to know where Suki is. Switching back to Zuko, who's still confronting Ozine all his bullshit. And I'm just, you know, plotting from the sidelines going like, Yes! <laughs> Yes, get it. Basically, he's telling him what we we what we Ben knew, yeah. but it took Zuko a long time to realize, and that Iroh was a better father than he ever was. Yeah, and like, and then culminates in this amazing part where he says, "Like, I'm going to find the Avatar, and I'm going to help him defeat you." Like, huh? not like, only that, he directly insults the country that his father represents. <laughs> yep. Like, and says like, you know, we're not the greatest country in the world. The world hates us. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah, the truth bomb that Ozai needs. But it doesn't mean shit to him because he's never going to change. No, also <laughs> shout out, a shout out to Mark to Hamill for his amazing voice acting in the scene. Yes. I mean, Mark Hamill's a goddamn voice acting god, let's face it, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> As Zuko prepares to leave, we have this little like father-like daughter moment where mm-hmm. Ozai tries to bait Zuko with bringing up his mother. Exactly what Zuko um, just did. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the what we what we as people who watch the show already knew, but six years ago when Ozai mocked Lu Ten's death, Azulon demanded that he kill Zuko to feel the same loss as of a child. And he actually planned to go through with killing Zuko. Mm-hmm. He actually was planning on doing it. I'm pretty sure he would have felt no remorse anyway if he had done it. But Ursa had found out and swore to protect Zuko. Mother bear kind of thing, you know. Mother bear instincts like we talked about. Yep. So they made an arrangement where she brought about Azulon's death to keep Zuko alive. And then she was banished. So now Zuko knows that his mother might still be alive. But let's put a pin in that because that's going to be a whole arc in the comics. So yeah. we'll put another pin in that. <laughs> oh, my God. But now the end of the eclipse is upon them and Ozai senses it. So he shoots, he says to him that like, you know, it wasn't a big enough punishment for this like 
you're, you know, like this is gonna be much more painful punishment for you. Yeah. And shoots lightning at him. And then we get like the one of my favorite moments of the series, like of the series, period. Like not just this episode, the series, mm-hmm. uh, where Zuko clearly has learned something from Iroh and redirects the lightning back mm-hmm. and blasts like Ozai back and Zuko escapes and the audience just goes wild. Like this is the part where everyone just got up out of their seats, which is like, yes. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Just, I love finally love this moment. Love this moment because it just again highlights Iroh's influence, right? And it's the lightning. Not to get too like AP English about it, but the lightning no, is go AP English on this. This is this is my shit. Go for it because the lightning is like a Fire Nation royal family secret, right? Yeah, it almost kind of symbolizes the the abuse that yeah. Ozai has inflicted on both of his children. And Zuko says, I'm not going to take it anymore and sends it right back. Exactly. I love that. And not only does he redirect it, he, I think, intentionally does not redirect it back at Ozai. He's like just right at the floor in front of him. So he's like blown back, but doesn't kill him because he just said, like, that's not my destiny. Killing you is the Avatar's destiny. My destiny is to help him take you down. So love that. Love, love, love this. Like, (sighs) symbolism just mm, it's so good it's so good it's so good mm-hmm. delicious <laughs> oh my god where am i on my page anyway well sounds like the firebending's back on yeah does she literally say that she does yeah <laughs> <laughs> amazing ang then suggests going after the fire lord but Toph and sokka tell that it's just not a good idea at this point and they retreat zuko then tries to free goes to free iroh from prison but iroh has already used his prison workout to his advantage <laughs> and has escaped already yeah meanwhile the submarines of for the invasion force are being destroyed by the fire nation cutting their off one of their only ways out one of their one of their only ways out hakoda then tells the kids to escape on appa where all the youngest of them will escape and the adults will stay behind and surrender and they say their goodbyes, mm. which there's just so many emotions here. Espe- weirdly enough, it was like Pipsqueak and the Duke saying goodbye that like hurt me more yeah. emotionally. <laughs> yeah. Like just this little kid, like, you know, saying goodbye to like, you know, his friends. Like, I didn't even realize how old like Pipsqueak actually was. So like, man, I don't know why I got it all like <laughs> gushy about this shit. But here I am. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like it's like, just war tearing up families again, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think that's why it's so emotional. Yeah. Like, they get separated from their father again, you know, with uh, Katara and Sokka. Like, man. Aang then suggests the Western Air Temple as a safe place to hide for now. Uh, And they escape on Appa. Azula is watching them from one of the airships as the group escapes, but she chooses not to go back out, go after them because they're too fast. But also, she is very, very confident that they will return someday. They'll be back. Mm-hmm. Gave me chills when she said that. Just st- as she stares at them from her airship. The episode then ends with a Fire Nation hot air blue rising up behind Appa. Get nervous at first, but then we realize it's Zuko following them mm-hmm. on the hot air balloon, determined to find the gang and fulfill his destiny of helping them defeat the Fire Lord. Yeah. And that's it. That's how the episode ends. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I'm getting chills just thinking about like that last shot of Zuko. Like, mm-hmm. it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> yes. Lot 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 of things going on here. And it's we're also reaching like, you know, the final half of season three after this episode. So like we're almost done this like last airbender, guys. Yeah. Like this is crazy. Yeah. You had some final thoughts here, Kayla, about the episode. <sighs> Just so many feelings. This is like some of the best 
like character moments, best like writing of the entire series right here. Mm-hmm. Looking at the series as a whole, especially this season, it almost is like they couldn't win without Zuko. Like the the destinies had not aligned at the point that they wanted to. And it's it's like they needed to lose this so they can win, lose this battle, win this war, you know. Exactly. So I I on top of like what the implications of this mean for the characters, um, I just think overall narratively it is really interesting how all of this went down, you know, because they're not just dealing with like red shirt Fire Nation guards, like they're dealing with like extremely tactile, tactfully smart people going so like it's almost more of a battle of wits than a battle of strength almost yes exactly like i mentioned before like azula isolated Sokka as one of the biggest threat at that time Mm. when they were in the bunker yeah really goes to show you how powerful of a character he really is yeah the two very very good episodes um let's move on to the azula bell counter so it's currently sitting at 45 and surprisingly there were only two azula bells and it was in part two of the day of black sun i thought there was going to be a lot more but there was only two let's give it up for two azula bells and now our our new azula bell counter is at 47 all right and that brings us around to fandom corner as we previously mentioned we have one of our patrons who sent in their thoughts on nightmares and daydreams so caitlin writes nightmares and daydreams is my least favorite episode of the series but remembrances is my least favorite out of the two shows the creators were high on cactus juice for this episode and you can't convince me otherwise there was no planning or strategy on the serious battle coming what even was ang's plan of fighting and dealing with ozai maybe it was a good thing that azula was there instead of Ozai since Aang was freaking out over defeating him during the four-parter finale. They don't know that the Fire Nation already knew about it thanks to, you know, Earth King blurting out the entire plan to the Kyoshi warriors in air quotes. The Appa and Momo's fight is my least favorite fight out of the whole series. It goes on way too long and leans way too much into silliness and ridiculousness for me. It's like, why the hell not add in Patik with multiple arms and having, you know, sheep cheering? Comedy should not be used sparingly during emotional turmoil, if at all. Iroh sure wasn't cracking any jokes in the Lake Lao guy, and there wasn't any humor during Zuko's confrontation with Ozai. The humor did not do it for me. Zuko, May, and Azula's plot should have been the A plot instead of what they, like, instead like what they did in the beach episode i'm sorry if you like this episode this is a hot take apparently to dislike this episode i don't think it's a hot take at all i think this is no widely agreed to be not a great episode personally i think this should be shit on uh, shit on a little bit more than the uh the great divide episode there's my hot take like (laughs) everyone shits on the great divide and yeah it wasn't a great episode but like especially with like what we like the hints of potential from this kind of episode that were there just makes it all the more disappointing i think that's why it ranks a little higher in the great divide than the great divide because at least we have like zuko's arc that's like more interesting than what's actually going on it pisses me off more though because it makes (laughs) me hate it more though because like they could have done something better with this and they didn't yeah and that's just what like that's that's why it ranks higher on my hate list than the great divide. Yeah, and I do agree with Caitlin, um, where they say comedy should be used sparingly during emotional turmoil, if at all. I'm gonna go with if at all, because that's why the this episode was sort of frustrating to me because this is not usually an issue that Avatar has. Like they do not use comedy to undercut emotional turmoil or drama turmoil, you know? So when they do it, you're like, what show am I watching? You know, exactly like this is this is really weird. And like there are plenty of other instances where I'm annoyed with how comedy is treated. Like like, for example, I love the MCU, 
But sometimes the humor is so ill-timed, it like completely yes. takes you out of the scene. Like don't don't get me started on the Civil War airport scene with like, you know, it goes from like you're tearing the Avengers apart to isn't it funny how you run to everyone at the airport? Yeah, it's like Sir. The yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know about that. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, I agree. I, I, that's one of my examples. I think Sorry. <laughs> I, I think yeah, I think the biggest sin I guess this episode commits is just not knowing where to put this comedic timing. Yeah. Yeah. And usually they're very good with comedy. So anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin, for submitting Fandom Corner this week. If you have yes. any thoughts uh, that you'd like to share on any of the episodes we talk about or any upcoming stuff, please send us an email or a DM. And we will definitely uh, link that in our description and talk about it at the end of the episode. So keep that in mind. Yes. And moving on to our recommendations. All right, Kayla, what do you recommend? So I already referenced it earlier, uh, but I recommend Hell of a Boss, which is an adult animated series on YouTube. Um, some people might have heard of Has Been Hotel, which is, uh, this is a spinoff of that. Uh, basically, Hell of a Boss is on YouTube. Like I said, it's all about these like demon characters that it takes place in hell and also in the living world. And they basically are these like bounty hunter demons and they're kind of terrible at their jobs basically get like revenge on people on the living in the living world by people who've been sent to hell and it's a lot more funnier than, than it sounds how i'm describing it okay uh, i swear to god it's actually funny uh and it's i mean it's like a work it's kind of workplace comedy with a lot more murder and also they've gotten some, some of the most recent episodes they definitely delved more into characters like psyches and stuff like that mm. and like it's gotten very like emotional it's funny and emotional and i think that more people should watch it so love that, that that's that's my thoughts that's my recommendation this week <laughs> cool how about you andre what do you recommend um i recommend a star is born the gaga version um me and my boyfriend are doing a month of musicals um because he like watches musicals during November. I don't know why. I don't know why November. He just does it. I'm like, cool, love that. So we like he like put we put together this like spreadsheet of all these musicals that we want to watch. So cute. And this week we watched uh, Mamma Mia, Yellow Rose, Jekyll and Hyde, and Stars Born. And I'm I have not watched Stars Born until this week. It's just one of those movies where I just never got around to it. Same here. Um, and I weirdly loved it a lot. I didn't think I was gonna like it. I knew how it ended because it's like a remake of a remake of a remake. Um, but yeah, I I loved it. Loved the music. Loved the acting. Just loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you haven't watched it and you've like known about it, you just kind of been putting it off. Give it a watch. It's it's a really good movie. I like I have listened to some of the music from it. Obviously, Shallow is played everywhere. Mm. Um, but like hmm, I haven't seen it yet, so maybe I will. Yeah. All right, and that wraps up our recommendations for the week. And as I mentioned before, if you would like to submit something for Fandom Corner or would like to stay up to date on everything that we're doing on the Avatar Hour podcast, you can follow us on social media at Avatar Hour on Twitter and at the Avatar Hour Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And you can email us at the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com. Send in Phantom Corners, thoughts, whatever. We love to hear from all of our listeners. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you would like some extra Avatar Hour in your life, you can subscribe to our exclusive Patreon for as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month. You can get benefits, including access to our Google Docs, our ad free Avatar Hour. And of course, our flagship benefit, the Avatar After Hour. We have a very special Halloween edition of it that just went up last week where you ranked different Avatar Halloween costumes and there were some spicy takes. It was actually really fun to do. Yes, so it was extremely fun. You can subscribe at our $5 level to see goofy stuff like that. 
Awesome. And if you want your voice to make a special appearance on the show, feel free to record your theories or any feedback about the show on the Voice Memo app on your phone and email them over to the Avatar Hour podcast at gmail.com. Um, definitely, definitely, definitely send us in feedback and your thoughts and theories. We are keeping track of all of them and we are we are eventually going to get into it on Fandom Corner. Um, so yeah, definitely send in those thoughts and we'll make sure to read it on the show and discuss it. Um, but until then, thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next week. Until then, my name is Andre. And I'm Kayla. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.